This is part three in my podcast on the topic of communion in the hand. You might remember in part one, I attempted to show how communion in the hand came about. Not to explore whether it should be used, but nor to compare it with communion on the tongue. Part two was where I explored the case made for be, for communion in the hand being an ancient practice. And now here in part three, I want to examine the merits of communion on the tongue. Firstly, I'd like to quote from an information bulletin of 2008 from the Office of the Liturgical Celebrations of the Roman Pontiff. This is under the reign of Pope Benedict XVI, and it's somewhat of a way of revising where we got to through part one and part two, as well as it highlights two most important merits of communion on the tongue. So let me quote to you fairly extensively, and I may stop here and there to make a few comments. So I begin the quote. The most ancient practice of distributing Holy Communion was, with all probability, to give communion to the faithful in the palm of the hand. The history of the liturgy, however, makes clear that rather early on, a process took place to change this practice. From the time of the Fathers of the Church, a tendency was born and consolidated, whereby distribution of Holy Communion in the hand became more and more restricted in favour of distributing Holy Communion on the tongue. The motivation for this practice is twofold. A. First to avoid as much as possible the dropping of Eucharistic particles. And B. Second, to increase among the faithful faithful devotion to the real presence of Christ in the sacrament of the Eucharist. Now on a sideline there, the two important merits of Holy Communion on the tongue, namely that Eucharistic particles from the sacred host are not dropped when placed on the t- when the host is placed on the tongue, and secondly, receiving on the tongue does seem to increase devotion to the real presence of Christ. It's interesting to note that in the last 50 to 60 years, Catholic understanding of the real presence of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament has decreased and at the same time communion in the hand has been the normal practice of receiving Holy Communion. So I continue now with the um, quote from the document from the Office of the Liturgical Practices of the Roman Pontiff. It continues saying, St. Thomas Aquinas also refers to the practice of receiving Holy Communion on the tongue. He affirms that touching the body of the Lord is proper only to the ordained priest, whose hands, by the way, are consecrated by anointing with sacred chrism at his ordination, precisely so that he may touch the sacred things. Continuing the quote, Therefore, for various reasons, among which the angelic doctor, that's St. Thomas Aquinas, cites respect for the sacrament, St. Thomas writes, Out of reverence towards this sacrament, nothing touches it but what is consecrated. Hence, the corporal, it's the square cloth that goes on top of the altar cloth, and the chalice are consecrated, and likewise the priest's hands for touching this sacrament. 
Hence it is not lawful for anyone else to touch it except from necessity. For instance, if it were fall, to fall upon the ground, or else in some other case of urgency. Over the centuries, the Church has always characterized the moment of Holy Communion with sacredness and the greatest respect, forcing herself constantly to develop, to the best of her ability, external signs that would promote understanding of this great sacramental mystery. In her loving and pastoral solicitude, the Church has made sure that the faithful receive Holy Communion, having the right interior dispositions, among which dispositions stands out the need for the faithful to comprehend and consider interiorly the real presence of him whom they are to receive. The Western Church has established kneeling as one of the signs of devotion appropriate to communicants. A celebrated saying of St. Augustine cited by Pope Benedict XVI in his encyclical Sacramentum Caritatis teaches, quoting St. Augustine, no one eats that flesh without first adoring it. We should sin were we not to adore it. End of quote. Kneeling indicates and promotes the adoration necessary before receiving the Eucharistic Christ. From this perspective, the then Cardinal Ratzinger assured that, quote, communion only reaches its true depth when it is supported and surrounded by adoration. For this reason, Cardinal Ratzinger maintained that the practice of kneeling for Holy Communion has in its favour a centuries-old tradition. And it is a particularly expressive sign of adoration, completely appropriate in light of the true, real and substantial presence of our Lord Jesus Christ under the consecrated species. St John Paul II in his last encyclical Ecclesia de Eucharistia wrote, By giving the Eucharist the prominence it deserves, and by being very careful not to diminish any of its dimensions or demands, we show that we are truly conscious of the greatness of this gift. We are urged to do so by an uninterrupted tradition, which from the first centuries on has found the Christian community ever vigilant in guarding this treasure. Inspired by love, the Church is anxious to hand on to future generations of Christians without loss her faith and teaching with regard to the mystery of the Eucharist. There can be no danger of excess in our care for this mystery, for in this sacrament is recapitulated the whole mystery of our salvation. Well, that's the end of that rather lengthy quote. So now I'd like to remind us of some of the things that we are taught and believe about the Blessed Sacrament. Firstly, from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Catholics believe Jesus is present, whole and entire, body, blood, soul and divinity, not only in the whole host, but also in a small particle of the host and in a single drop of his precious blood. End of quote from the Catechism. I'm not sure whether you've actually seen any of the hosts that we use for Mass up close, 
but fragments of the host are visible even before the consecration. It's a bit like a loaf of bread, if you have it in a plastic bag, eventually some particles will sort of rub off with the plastic going over the surface of the bread and down the bottom of the package you'll always find some crumbs. So there doesn't have to be a break or tear in the bread or the host to create fragments. Of course, that will create fragments. But just the very nature of the material will create crumbs or um, in the sacred host, it's more like dust particles, but, you know, they're the same colour as the host. They come from them. So because fragments of the host are visible even before the consecration, the Catholic priest is taught to be very careful and with the small pieces of the consecrated hosts that may fall, either by rubbing his fingers across them, unintentionally of course, or as the host is broken they may fall upon the pattern. So the corporal, that piece of white cloth that's placed on the altar, called a corporal, you know, because in the older form of the Mass, the host was placed directly upon it, so it was the piece of cloth that received what was to become the corpus, the body of Christ. So the corporal is there to actually collect fragments, which inevitably will occur at the breaking of the consecrated host at the time of the Day, Lamb of God. And similarly, the pattern, the small metal plate, is used in the older form of the Mass to, but can be used in the newer form too, to be placed under the hands or the chin of the person who is receiving Holy Communion so as to collect any fragments which may fall during the distribution of Holy Communion. The general instruction of the Roman Missal, that document which governs the celebration of the Novus Ordo Mass, says in paragraph number 278, that the priest should be careful that any fragments of the sacred host that remain on his fingers should be reverently wiped on the purificator or washed. I much prefer washing. After communion, the same document, paragraph number 162, commands that the priest purify the ciborium and the chalice because if any fragment or drop remains on the vessels that is fully and really Christ, and it's more precious than anything on, on this earth. And the priest needs to consume them. They're not to be dusted onto the floor, so to speak, or left to be rinsed in the sacristy and the, the water go down into the sewerage system. But sadly, a double standard takes place during Mass, the Novus Ordo Masses anyway. The great care that the priest is obligated to perform at the altar to prevent the loss of particles is not replicated by the faithful who receive in the hand. Some of the rubrics of the Old Latin Mass are helpful here too. And in the older form of the Mass, the priest is told that from the moment of the words of consecration over the sacred host, he keep his forefinger and thumb together on both hands. And whether he elevates the chalice, turns the page of the missal or opens the tabernacle, his thumb and forefinger touch nothing but the sacred host. They're kept together. It's also worth noting that there was no leaving the sacred host upon the altar to walk up and down the aisles 
especially before his fingers have been purified, shaking people's hands at the sign of peace. And in the older form of the Mass, just at the time after Holy Communion, the priest scrapes the corporal with the pattern to make sure that any particles that are there on the corporal are collected onto the pattern. And then he brushes and cleans that into the chalice so that any particle that was left would be collected and reverently consumed. And then the priest holds his two fingers of each hand over the chalice while wine and water are poured over it and then he reverently consumes that liquid mixture of water and wine that will contain whatever particles he has uh, brushed into the chalice so as to assure that not the slightest particle nor the smallest drop of blood, precious blood is susceptible to any form of overlooking or the worst case desecration. Those are only some of the rubrics that are incorporated into the older form of the Mass. They're not just silly scruples, but show that the Church believed with certainty that at Mass the bread and wine truly become the body, blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, and that no pains were too great to make sure that our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament was treated with all the reverence and homage that his divine majesty deserves. The sacraments are the most precious gems the Church possesses, and the Holy Eucharist, the Blessed Sacrament, is the greatest of all the sacraments, because in all the other sacraments we receive sacramental grace. But in the Holy Eucharist, we receive Christ himself. So since it is obvious that the Blessed Sacrament is the greatest treasure the Church possesses, then it must be treated with all the reverence and homage that it deserves. And all those pre-Vatican II barriers that prevented irreverence or desecration are indispensable to the life of the Church and the holiness of the faithful. So as I come to an end, I'd like to offer you, for your careful consideration, the following. First, it seems to me that there is an inbuilt better quality to communion received on the tongue. There is greater reverence towards the real presence of Christ simply by not touching it. Just look at what we're not allowed to touch in normal life. When I went to the Louvre in Paris many years ago, I was not allowed to touch the Mona Lisa. When I went to St. Peter's Basilica, I was not allowed to touch the Pietà. What is unique and irreplaceable, we may not touch. Surely our Lord and Saviour is more valuable than the priceless works of human art. Secondly, receiving on the tongue is a way of receiving food that is totally not normal. So when Holy Communion is received on the tongue, it signifies to us who receive, and to those who observe, that what we are eating is not normal food, it's supernatural food, not earthly food. Thirdly, it's already been mentioned that kneeling necessarily implies greater reverence than standing. The fourth point is, now switching your mode of receiving Holy Communion may not be easy to accomplish because there are some parishes where Despite official church documents, some priests and parishioners are opposed to the more traditional practice. Sometimes it can also be, or only be, that the layout of the church does not help. 
So if you find yourself sort of having to receive on the hand, adopt the truly ancient practice of cupping your hands one on top of the other, and then bring both directly to your mouth and consume the sacred host. This would remove the possibility of fragments dropping from your hand and be a way that is never used with normal food, or at least rarely if it is. I don't know of any circumstance where we would eat that way. And this itself sends the message to you and to those who observe that what you are consuming is not normal food. And lastly, the fifth point. I do ask you to seriously consider receiving Holy Communion in the time-honoured way. I record this podcast before Corpus Christi Sunday, on which we honour and rejoice in the most precious treasure that the Church has been given, namely the body and blood of our risen Saviour, fully and truly and really present in the most blessed sacrament. That would be an appropriate day to begin your consideration of the tried and true way of receiving Holy Communion, the way that your grandparents and your great-grandparents knew. And don't forget to pray about it also and to place your considerations before Christ present in the Blessed Sacrament so that he may have a say in what you do as well. Thank you for listening to this three-part podcast. I hope it's been helpful and interesting. May God bless you. And let me finish with the well-known short prayer of praise to Christ present in the Blessed Sacrament. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. God bless you.